The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast and are presented by the SGPN Free Roll Football Contest. Join our free season-long pick'em for a chance to win $3,000 and a Super Bowl autographed SGP helmet. Sign up at sportsgampodcast.com slash contest. We're also brought to you by Game Time. Snag the tickets without the stress. Use promo code SGPN on your first purchase to save $20. Download the Game Time app and use promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. You play the underdog pick'em in college or NFL at one up to 20 times your money in one game. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. We're also brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code SGP. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 in any NFL game. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. Finally, we're brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOF bets.com use code sgpn to get 50 percent off your first month and start making smarter bets today and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here on the sports game podcast network it's currently early friday morning september 8th and i'm your host as always scott rochelle once again going solo for this pod should be a short podcast because you only have two matches to talk about it is time to get into the semifinals for the men's side of the U.S. Open, we have Djokovic against Shelton, and we have Alcaraz against Medvedev. So I'll preview those two matches. But first, got to do what we always do, which is recap what happened on the last episode. To go through the schedule, I'm going to recap the picks from last episode, pre, uh, recap the matches from the quarterfinals. Then I'll get into a rant or two, and then we'll get into the previews for the two matches, followed by the Lock and Dog picks. And then that'll be the end of the episode. So starting off with the recap from the quarterfinals, overall three blowout matches and one match that was very ugly, but went four sets. So kind of underwhelming as the favorites won three out of the four matches and the one underdog did win in the four setter. Starting off with the Tuesday matches, you had Djokovic burying Fritz in straight sets, 6-1, 6-4, 6-4. Classic Fritz performance. He no-showed against Djokovic, who's won Every meeting they've had, I think he's won 11 straight sets against Fritz. Fritz could not take advantage of any breakpoint chances, had, got buried on the second serve, and Djokovic won comfortably. Then you had Tiafo and Shelton, which won four sets. Shelton did pull off the upset. Unfortunately, we did lose in that match as we had the over 38 and a half games, and it was a brutal beat because it landed 38. And on top of that... Shelton ended up winning the third set tiebreaker against Tiafo 9-7. It was very ugly. Tiafo probably should have won the set on several occasions because he was up a break at various points in the set. Punted it every time. Then Shelton double-faulted on back-to-back points in the tiebreaker. Tiafo was serving it out, and Shelton rocketed a return forehand down the line, which hit the baseline. And then you ended up seeing Shelton win the tiebreaker. And at that point, we knew that there were going to be only two paths for the fourth set. Either Tiafo was going to respond and fight back and make it interesting, or he was immediately going to roll over and die. And I'm sure all of you know my stance on Tiafo. I've mentioned it on Twitter for years. I've mentioned it on this podcast for over a year. I think Tiafo is one of the most underrated quitters on the entire tour. I think that mentally he's a loser, and I thought that he was immediately going to pout after losing the third set, which he should have won, and he was going to lose. Now, a reminder, we needed Tiafo, the favorite in the match, a top 10 ranked player in the world. We needed him to win three games in the fourth set to cash the over. And we knew with him serving first, 
that he had to come out firing. And I thought in the back of my mind, he's going to get broken to start the set and he's about to roll over and die. And next thing you know, Tiafo immediately stops running for any balls, gets broken. And then he actually held serve two times. And we needed Tiafo to hold serve one more time at 2-4 and he could not hold. He got broken and he lost. So we needed three games from Tiafo in the final set. He only won two, and we ended up losing. So that summed up how that bet went. Tiafo once again quit when things got tough. Not surprised, but Shelton did a good job of keeping his composure, and he ended up winning. So picked up a loss there with the lock. Still love the read. We got exactly what we wanted, a tiebreaker with four sets. But Tiafo rolled over and died, and he's a quitter. So that's why he's never going to win a Grand Slam. But moving on to the Wednesday matches. First match, you had Medvedev winning in straight sets against Rublev. And we picked up a loss for our dog with this matchup. We had Medvedev to win. However, we did have Rublev to win a set. So we had Medvedev money line with each player to win a set. And that paid out a plus 150 on Caesars. And that was another really bad beat. Now, it wasn't as bad as Tiafo. However, Rublev was up a break in each of the three sets, and he's still lost in straight sets. So that's a heartbreaker and a half, because anytime you're up a break, on one hand, you're hoping you can hold on and just figure it out by serving. On the other hand, you're hoping that Medvedev might even consider punting a set that can serve energy. But Rublev, I'll get into the actual conditions for that match in a second. But the point is, Rublev was up a break in all three sets and did not win a single set. So we lost the lock and dog in pretty brutal fashion for both plays. But either way, Medvedev won in straight sets. And for the late night match, you had Alcaraz winning in straight sets against Zverev. Nothing really shocked me there. Zverev, I can't even say, looked tired from the five-setter against Sinner. Alcaraz was just better, and Zverev basically just fell apart on every big point. Alcaraz was not broken in the entire match, and Zverev did a good job of forcing some deuces and making Alcaraz work a little bit. But every time there was a point that really just needed to go Zverev's way, he couldn't win it. And Alcaraz won every single big point. So straight set wins in three of the four matches, which was pretty underwhelming as a fan. But either way, that's going to segue me into the first rant that I have for this episode. I mentioned a second ago the conditions with the Medvedev and Rublev match. It was an issue for all of the matches, but I will go into a brief story which is going to tie into what we saw in the quarterfinals. So the date itself was August 28th, 2018. It was the first round of the U.S. Open, and I was in attendance for the night session. I was with my mother, and it was the first time we ever went to a night session together. Federer was taking on Nishioka, and my mom and I were very excited to go to the event. Now, it was in New York in the summertime, so it was pretty humid, but it was the first time we ever went to an Arthur Ashe match with the Dome. Initially, there was no Dome, and it was a great atmosphere. I, I, rec I used to go all the time because the conditions were great with the openness and how the wind and the breeze really cut through the humidity that used to get in the summertime in New York. But anyway, my mom and I get tickets. We're in the 300s, and we are ready to watch Federer one of the last times Federer was going to play at the event. We didn't know how long he had left in his career, and we assumed he'd win against Nishioka, which he did in straight sets. Now, we sit down, and I want to say the first set already started. It was around, like, 3-1, give or take, like Federer was already up a break. And we sat down, and about five minutes in, we're watching a game or so, and Federer's winning. He looks like classic Federer, and Nishioka can't do anything about it. Now, my mom and I look at each other, 
and we notice five minutes in that we are sweating. And I don't mean like light droplets. We are just pouring sweat. And we've been there for five minutes. And we realize as we look at each other, it is hot as hell in here. And then my mom starts to get extremely uncomfortable. I don't want to say it was claustrophobia, but she was feeling very uncomfortable, like she needed to get up and get some air. So she left five minutes in. She left. I'm sitting by the seats in case she comes back. I want to make sure nobody ends up jacking our seats. And I'm texting her while I'm sitting there and I'm still sweating bullets. It is a miserable experience. And I'd say that I was by myself by those chairs for maybe about 15, 20 minutes. And then my mom messages me and she says, you know, how are you doing over there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. How are you doing? You're the one who got up and, you know, was uncomfortable. And she basically said, I need some air. I can't breathe in here. We got to get out of here. And after 20 minutes of watching Federer and Nishioka, we got up and left. And we went to Louis Armstrong and we watched Kyrgios take on Albert, which went four sets. I remember Kyrgios won. But Louis Armstrong did not have a roof. So we were able to enjoy the breeze, and it was actually very comfortable. But the reason why I bring it up is because it was 2018 when that happened. And my mom and I knew as soon as we walked into that building, there was no ventilation and there was no quality air in the entire building. And now in 2023, it's an issue in every single tennis match because you're looking at the fans, you're looking at the players, and everyone looks exhausted 20 minutes in. I'll start off with the Tiafo and Shelton match. 20 minutes into the first set, Tiafo is in a pool of sweat, and Shelton's pouring sweat as well. We're 20 minutes in. It's like 3-2 or 2-2, and it looks like both players have been playing for two hours. Then you have the Medvedev and Rublev match, which was an afternoon match, with the roof actually open, and it was still terrible weather and terrible conditions, because Medvedev and Rublev look like they have food poisoning. They're breathing from their mouth. They're completely white as a ghost, and they're sweating bullets. And Medvedev turns to the camera and basically says, one of us is going to die, then maybe they'll do something. That was indirectly what he said, but that's kind of what he was the message behind his statement. So he can't handle the actual conditions. Rublev can't handle the conditions, and they're only playing in straight sets. They didn't even go to four or five. Like, this is crazy how bad the conditions and ventilation is in the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And then you had the Keys-Vandrosva match, which took place later that night. We're five minutes in to the match. Five minutes. It's a night match, and a fan collapses from heat stroke. Five minutes into the match, a fan has heat stroke. We got to do something. Like, this is crazy. The conditions here are next-level bad. It's probably the worst playing conditions in the entire tour. It makes no sense weather-wise that you have more people that are struggling with humidity and struggling with the overall heat than the Australian Open. It's like 105 degrees every time they play there, and we have more issues with the health and the safety of players and fans in Arthur Ashe in a dome. Get the air conditioner working, use it, and make sure these people and players don't collapse on the court or in their seats. That's the first rant I have. So the story there... It's been this way for five years. It's not something new. I was in attendance, and I can promise you, I will never go to a tennis match inside Arthur Ashe again until they fix the ventilation. It is that bad. Do not go. That's my advice for you. Anyway, that's going to take me to the second rant I have with Arthur Ashe, and mostly U.S. Open security, because during the Goff match against uh, Mukova in the semifinals, there was a delay in a dome. For roughly 48 minutes. Why 
climate change protesters. Now, I understand that climate change protesters have gone around in a bunch of different sports. We saw it in the basketball playoffs a couple years ago with the Timberwolves games. They're gluing their hand down to courts, and it's very, very weird. I get it. You want to save the planet you know, by, I don't know, gluing your hand to a whatever. They have their message and they want to promote it. The problem that I have here is U.S. Open security. Because with the basketball situation that happened, it might have happened in volleyball as well. It's happened in a couple of sports on TV. The point is, usually they are immediately escorted off the premises and the delay is about three minutes. Now, what happened was two supporters immediately left. The other one, or two protesters, I mean, immediately left. The other one was some guy who glued, either it was his feet to the cement or it was his shoes to the cement, but it took 48 minutes to get him out, and they ended up having to take Goff and Mukova off the court. 48 minutes? You really can't do anything better to handle a nonviolent protester? I, I get one thing you can't you know, prevent people who are lunatics or who have strong points who want to sacrifice their own well-being to promote an agenda. It's fine. That's going to happen. There are crazy people in the world. It's going to happen. However, 48 minutes, you really can't solve three nonviolent protesters in the span of 48 minutes that you have to send the players off the court. Give me a break. Do something. Now, I'm not saying you should fully amputate his legs, but at least come up with some type of solution there. It's crazy that 40 plus minutes went by because of three people, really because of one person, nobody got hurt, and yet you had to delay the match for about an hour. That's embarrassing. U.S. Open security, abysmal. F minus great. That's the second rant I wanted to go on. Now, let's get into the actual purpose of this show, which is the two semifinal matchups on the men's side. So starting off with the first match, you have Djokovic against Shelton, which is the early match taking place at around, I believe, 3 p.m., Eastern time. And for this matchup, Djokovic is a massive favorite. What else is new? Because he's the best player of all time. And most importantly, Shelton is a Cinderella story. And Djokovic is once again probably going to smack him. Now, for the sake of the odds here, Djokovic is a casual minus 1800 on the money line in a semifinal for a Grand Slam. The spread is seven and a half, minus 117 to Djokovic and minus 103 to Shelton. As for the over under, 32 and a half or 31 and a half. 31 and a half, the over is minus 120, under is minus 110. As for 32 and a half, minus 102 is the over, minus 118 is the under. The match to end in straight sets is minus 160. Match to go four or more is plus 130. Sheldon to win a set is plus 127. Djokovic to win in straight sets is around minus 132 or minus 140, depending on where you shop around. Now, I'm going to start off with the basic question. Do I think Sheldon can win this match? Hell no, he can't win this match. The only way he wins if Djokovic gets hurt or if he struggles with the overall humidity in the arena, because that's been an issue for a lot of players. But Djokovic is, without a doubt, in my opinion, the most fit tennis player to ever step foot on a court. So I think he should be able to handle it. I know he was struggling a bit early on in that DeGere match in the first two sets where he lost, but I'm assuming he'll be able to deal with it because he's been able to win in straight sets in the last couple of rounds anyway. As for Shelton, there are a couple of variables that I am concerned by. First of all, this is the, the best opponent he's probably ever faced, which is not a good sign. On the other, uh, the other point I want to make is that this is the biggest match of Shelton's career because this is the first time he's ever made it to a Grand Slam semi, 
So with that being the case, are nerves going to play a factor? Will he double fault a lot on big points? Djokovic is also the best returner in the history of the sport. And we know Shelton's strokes have been better recently, but there's a lot of unforced error potential there. And Djokovic is a brick wall. So I guess the question is, can Shelton dominate the serve with a good first serve percentage? And can he limit the mistakes? Simply put, no. I don't think he's going to be able to. I think Djokovic wins in straight sets, and I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. Now, for the sake of the match props, I think a tiebreaker is a possibility, but Shelton did get broken a decent amount against Tiafo. The only difference was Tiafo was handing breaks back in return. Now, Djokovic is not a great, or I should say elite, elite server. He's been pretty good. The second server has been a problem, though, and he has double faulted a decent amount for his own standards. So maybe Shelton can get a break or two, but in reality... I see Djokovic taking advantage of every Shelton second serve that is not perfectly placed, and any shot that's o- any rally that's over five shots has a drastic edge for Djokovic. So if if Shelton has to rally to win, he's going to lose. That's how the match is going to go. If I was Shelton, I would have bomb first serves all the time, and I would go into the net and try to volley more. You have to shorten the points. I don't think he's going to do that. I think Shelton is a player that is a little bit overconfident behind the baseline. And you cannot out-rally Djokovic. It's not going to work out. I think Djokovic wins comfortably. Maybe a breaker. Give me some type of like 7-6, 6-3, 6-3 scoreline. Something standard, near the spread. And I think the match goes under. And I think that Djokovic wins in straight sets. Now, as for the actual props for this match, I think aces for Shelton at 12.5 is interesting. Because he can bomb them. But I am concerned about the amount of service games he's going to have if I do expect a pretty short overall match. Now, for Shelton, I am interested in the Djokovic under for aces at eight and a half because Shelton does have a lot of height and he does have a pretty long wingspan. So he can get a racket onto a lot of these serves. Are, are they going to be good returns? No. But I do think Shelton can limit the aces for. Uh, Djokovic here because Shelton does have the ability to get a racket on a lot of serves and Djokovic's second serve is really not a danger to ace anybody and the first serve percentage if it does dip can definitely result in a limited number of aces for Djokovic but to go through the actual ace count for Tiafo in the last match it went four sets and Tiafo did have seven aces in those four sets Tiafo I think has a better first serve than Djokovic in terms of speed I like the under for aces in Djokovic. If he's going to win in straight sets with a decent amount of breaks, the over-under for breaks on Djokovic here is four and a half with juice to the over at minus 170. That means Djokovic is not going to have many service games to get aces. I like the under at eight and a half. I think that ace total is too high. I think Djokovic finishes probably around five or six, but give me the under eight and a half. If it was going to four or five sets, maybe I'd consider the over, but I don't see it. So I'm going to go with the under here for Djokovic aces at eight and a half as my favorite prop in this matchup. Now, moving on to the late-night match, you have the number two against the number three. You have Alcaraz taking on Medvedev, where Alcaraz is a pretty big favorite of minus 360. Medvedev is plus 300. As for the spread, Alcaraz minus 5.5 is minus 120. Medvedev plus 5.5 is even money. For the actual game total, 37 is the number. The over is minus 105. The under is minus 115. You can get some alt lines, though. You can get Alcaraz minus 6.5 games at plus 110. Medvedev plus six and a half games at minus 140. Uh, if you want the match to go to three sets, to go three sets, you can get that at plus 140. Match to go four or five, you can get a minus 170. So they are expecting this match to go four or five. 
Uh, Alcaraz minus two and a half sets plus 170. Medvedev plus two and a half sets is minus 210. Now, the problem that I have with Medvedev in this matchup is the fact that Alcaraz has owned him in all five sets this year. He's 5-0 and in sets, and every set is at 10 games or less. So Medvedev has really not been close to winning a single set against Alcaraz in the calendar year. And it's a pretty simple explanation. Alcaraz is really good at everything that gives Medvedev problems. The issue with Medvedev, he doesn't exactly have a lot of firepower, and he also stands very far back on his returns, which means that he's very susceptible to getting drop-shotted into potential serve and volley play. And Alcaraz has the best drop shots in the entire tour, not even close, showed it against Verev last night, and he also is a very underrated volleyer, which he has shown at uh, times as well. So Medvedev really... I'm trying to think of a path that he really has here, besides hoping that Alcaraz starts spraying unforced errors. Because Alcaraz has the power to hit the ball past Medvedev. Medvedev does not have the power to hit it past Alcaraz. So Alcaraz has the speed and the quickness to really keep every ball in play. Medvedev does not come to the net that much, so he's not going to end points early. And if Alcaraz has more power on each wing, and he's better at the net, and he's a little bit of a safer server because Medvedev does double fault a lot, it's really hard to find a path for Medvedev to win besides hoping that Alcaraz is either forehand or backhand short circuit and Medvedev can feast on a bunch of free points. I don't see it. I think Alcaraz wins comfortably. I want to say that Medvedev's going to play very well, and he has been playing well in this tournament, but he was really struggling physically with the conditions in uh, Arthur Ashe in that matchup against Rublev. Now, this is a night match, so maybe it'll be a little bit more tolerable, but simply put, I'm just too concerned about Medvedev's conditioning and his ability to handle the humidity in that arena in the second and third set. The first set should be very, very close. I do think Alcaraz should win the first set, but once again, if Medvedev's going to win a set, it would be the first one. But if Alcaraz does win the first, I think that you're looking at Medvedev's level dropping significantly faster than Alcaraz's, which gives Alcaraz an edge. I feel like all of us know going into this tournament that I picked Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the final. I'm sure we all did, because they're clearly better than everybody else here. Medvedev is firmly in third place. He's the third best player in the world, but Alcaraz is still much better than him, and he excels in, once again, areas that Medvedev really does not have a counter to, because Medvedev loves to stand well behind the baseline. He loves to keep the ball in play and wait for his opponents to make mistakes. The problem is Alcaraz is so elite in such a variety of areas that the variety can really just play games with Medvedev, and I don't see many answers. Medvedev plays one way, and that's it. Alcaraz can play three or four different ways, and all of them are really good. So for me, give me Alcaraz to win. I think he wins comfortably. I would probably lean to straight sets. Minus one and a half, I do like the most, but it's minus 170, which is a bit juicy. But I do think Alcaraz will win. If Medvedev makes this interesting, I'll be happy to be wrong. But from what I've seen from the five sets this year, Medvedev has not only gotten killed by Alcaraz, he hasn't even been close to solving anything. It just has been one-way traffic. I see a similar story here. Can be Alcaraz and Djokovic meeting in the final. That's going to wrap it up for the actual recap, or I should the recap of the quarterfinals as well as the preview for the semifinal matchups on the men's side. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. But before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. 
We're brought to you by the SGP Free Roll Football Contest. Have you signed up yet for our free season-long NFL Pick'em Contest? If not, you should. $1,000 for first place, $500 for second place. But if you are a Patreon member for the NFL season, your prizes double the $2,000 and $1,000 respectively. Plus, if a Patreon member wins the Free Roll Football Contest, they'll also get an autographed full-size sports game podcast helmet, which includes guests like Joe Theismann, Bill Romanowski, Pac-Man Jones, John Sally, Eric Metcalf, and LeGarrette Blunt. Sign up link is at sportscampodcast.com slash contest, sportscampodcast.com slash Patreon to get in on the chance to win double the prizes and win the weekly Patreon pickums. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, the good thing is the wait is over. The NFL is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on any NFL game. DraftKings hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. For me, I think week one, I'm going to go back once again to the Commanders and go with them in the first half, minus three and a half. Looking well, you know at what the uh, the Cardinals have been doing recently, they traded away their uh, first round pick on defense a couple of years ago with Isaiah Simmons. They also ended up cutting Colt McCoy. They just traded for Dobbs, who has not played a single snap for the team in preseason or the regular season. And I do think the Commanders, with a sellout crowd at home with Howell, showed some promise in preseason. Three and a half does feel a little bit short in the first half. I think Washington gets out to an early lead, and it leads by at least seven at the break. Download now, though, and use code SGP to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting $5. That's code SGP. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I was always stressed out trying to buy tickets to my favorite team sporting events, and now that's no longer an issue because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. Personally, I'm going to end up using it probably in week one to go to the Jets-Bills game on Monday Night Football, which should be a lot of fun. But they have a lot of great features on the app, including images of seat views, which is my favorite feature. In the past, with other platforms, you might buy a ticket and you don't exactly know what the exact view is going to be. So you try to guess what you think it's going to be, and it turns out you have an obstruction directly in front of you, and you just paid money for tickets that you are basically worthless because you can't see the actual action you paid for. But that's not an issue with this feature because now with the images of seat views, game time will show you what the exact view is so you'll get a perfect view of the action. But game time is also the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theaters, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Sign the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code SGPN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account or redeem code SGPN for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets revolutionary 
parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame bet app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two and five players, select whether to go higher or lower on any of their stats. Then you do what you always do on Sunday, which is watch all the games, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, but you can win real money. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over at Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, Use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the semifinal matchups on the men's side in the U.S. Open, taking place on Friday. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks, but I decided to be a bit different for this one. I realized since there's only two matches to go through, I think I will return or bring back the prop section for this uh for the final segment so it's going to be the lock dog and prop picks for the semifinals and starting off with the lock i am going to go with a play that i did not mention before but it's a play that i really like it's going to be djokovic and i'm going to go with his player prop team total under 19 and a half games at minus 140 couple reasons why i like this simply put i got djokovic winning in straight sets that's one b you have room for a tiebreaker or a 7-5. Because if Djokovic wins, as I said before, 7-6, 6-3, that's only 19 games. So you need Djokovic to lose a set or to go to two separate 7-5s or 7-6s in order for this prop to lose. I think it's a hell of a deal. It's basically a way of getting Djokovic to win in straight sets, which is around minus 157. So you're saving 17 cents, and all you have to do is avoid a second 7-5 or 7-6 set You might not even get one. I think that, once again, 19.5 for a player prop team total here is too high for a minus 1,800 favorite. Give me Djokovic team total under 19.5 games and minus 140 as my lock. For my dog, I didn't have many dogs here, but I'm going to go with the one that I mentioned. It's going to be the Alcaraz straight sets bet at plus 170. Simply put, actually, I see plus 180. I'll take plus 180. Uh, for Alcaraz to win in straight sets. This could lose, don't get me wrong, but I just think that stylistically, Alcaraz really has a great game plan for Medvedev. You might remember when Medvedev faced off against Zverev, and Zverev beat Medvedev in straight in three sets a couple of weeks ago. Zverev thanked Alcaraz for giving him a game plan during a round of golf. So Alcaraz came up with a game plan that helped Zverev beat Medvedev, it means Alcaraz has the game plan in his head already. I think Medvedev has no answers. I like Medvedev a lot as a player, but he's pretty one-dimensional, and Alcaraz has the skills to really capitalize off of Medvedev's inability to adapt to problems. So I do think when you're looking at this matchup here, plus 180 is a very good price. Can be Alcaraz to win in straight sets at plus 180. And for my prop, I am going to go back to the Djokovic Aces prop. I am going to go with the under 8.5 Aces at minus 115. Simply put, that line's too high. Went to four sets in the quarterfinals, and Tiafo only had seven aces. Shelton is six foot four. Djokovic's second serve is really not a threat to to ace anybody. And Shelton, I think, is long enough 
to keep a racket on a lot of these serves. Djokovic has never really been an amazing server. He's good. He used to be weak at it, but then he got even Isovich's coach, and he has improved in that area. But he's not a big ace guy. And with Shelton being six foot four and being quite athletic, I do think that the aces will be low. Not to mention the fact that Djokovic is expected to break Shelton's serve about five plus times because it's over four and a half at minus 170. So there's not many service games that Djokovic should have in this match because of, once again, the projected domination he's going to have on the scoreboard. So for me, I think Djokovic is probably going to have less service games than people expect. And I am going to go with the lackluster aces performance from Djokovic because of it. So once again, the lock dog and prop picks for this episode, the lock will be Djokovic team total under 19 and a half games at minus 140. The dog will be Alcaraz to win in straight sets at plus 180. And the prop will be Djokovic under Eight and a half aces of minus 115. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're back once again for the men's final. I'm still not sure if I'm going to the women's final or not. I might. So we'll keep an eye out for that. I think I probably will. So I actually will be back for the women's final. So I'm going to have two episodes left for the U.S. Open. But until next time, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NFL show, the NBA show, WNBA show, and a bunch of other podcasts with the network. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.